A few years ago, a Focus staff member asked Alexis if she had any prayer needs. And at that time, my heart was so tender, and I really was feeling like I wanted to give up on this marriage. So I just told him quite straightly, like, I need help. We need help. Our marriage is very difficult, and would you pray for our marriage? And he did. She also found help on the radio. Focus on the family saved my life. It just was the lifeline that I needed every single day to keep going and keep hoping. I'm Jim Daly. Help us save more families every month by calling 800-A-FAMILY or donate at focusonthefamily.com family. Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. God did not leave us to dangle in the dark. He's not a sadist in the sky waiting to hit you with a rubber band or a disease. He did leave directions. He did leave instructions. Taxes, sex, mother-in-laws, it's all in here. The Bible is full of great advice on a variety of topics, and our speaker, Ellie LaFaro, will share why it's so important to know those biblical truths on today's episode of Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President Jim Daly. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller. John Ellie is a popular speaker who has authored several books, including Spaghetti for the Soul. Uh, She combines biblical wisdom with a great sense of humor, as you're going to hear. In fact, the last time we aired Ellie's message, one of our Facebook friends said, this made me laugh out loud as I was driving home from work. Good thing it was dark outside or people would have thought I was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) That's a nice compliment. That's good. We do want people to laugh, and Ellie is going to help us do just that today. She's a native New Yorker, and she and her husband, Frank, live in Reston, Virginia, They have three grown children, and here now is Ellie LaFaro speaking at a women's conference on Focus on the Family. Reston, Virginia is a planned community. It was uh, created by Robert E. Simon. Those are his initials, Robert E. Simon Town. Reston is uh, kind of a strange place. It made me very nervous when I first moved there because it's a perfect planned community. 20 pools, everything is just so. There's a certain mileage. There's walking trails and jogging trails. There's no funeral homes or cemeteries. He said he was building Utopia. I guess you don't die in Utopia. But I do have a theory. They lay fresh mulch every three months. Anyway, it's just a unique place. And it's, uh, like I said, just lovely. And there's flowers planted. And uh, it's just very nice. But it really was a unique change for me in the beginning. And I believe that... To live in Reston, you have to, be, you have to be between 30 and 60. It's baby Boomerville. And then when you're 60, you have to move out. <laughs> there is a tower at one end of town. It's a Lutheran home. It's a skyscraper. And um, I go there every few months, and I sing some songs, play guitar, and I'm an honorary member of the 30-plus club. <laughs> so I go, and it's so much fun. And I like doing humor for the old people because they have hearing aids. And the the joke goes around the room real slow. (laughs) They start banging on their canes, you know. (laughs) But I love going there, and there's nothing more beautiful than a woman who loves Jesus who's in her 80s, who's been loving Jesus a long time. You know, people say that you start to look like your pet, you start to look like your husband after many years. You know, you take on 
characteristics of people you spend time with. Imagine what that's like when you're a Christian, that you can start to look like Jesus. When you walk in a room, sometimes women will say, excuse me, what is that you're wearing? You know, wouldn't it be nice if we could say, that's Jesus? You know, what is that about her? Why is she different? Oh, I got to get some of that. You ever have people say to you, who are you? Or what are you so happy about? And it's such a great opportunity to say, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's not me. This is how I used to be. This is how I am now. So I love that. But a wonderful thing about visiting the old folks' home is that you get to enjoy some of their wisdom. Here are some observations made by senior saints. One lady says, insanity is my only means of relaxation. (laughs) Reason to smile. Every seven minutes of every day, someone in aerobics pulls a hamstring. (laughs) One of life mysteries is how a two-pound box of candy can make a woman gain five pounds. (laughs) Mildred says, my mind not only wanders, sometimes it leaves completely. Ethel says, the best way to forget your troubles is to wear tight shoes. (laughs) The nice part about living in a small town is that when you don't know what you're doing, someone else does. (laughs) Phyllis says, the older you get, the tougher it is to lose weight because by then your body and your fat are really good friends. Sometimes I think I understand everything, and then I regain consciousness. (laughs) Martha said, I gave up jogging for my health when my thighs kept rubbing together and setting my pantyhose on fire. (laughs) Amazing, you hang something in your closet for a while, and it shrinks two sizes. Lillian said, skinny people irritate me, especially when they say things like, you know, sometimes I just forget to eat. (laughs) I have forgotten my address, my mother's maiden name, my keys, but I've never forgotten to eat. You have to be a special kind of stupid to forget to eat. Margaret said, a friend of mine confused her Valium with her birth control pills. She has 14 kids, but she doesn't care. (laughs) And finally, women over 50 don't have babies because they would put them down and forget where they put them. I like the story of the elderly lady who came out of the shopping mall, bags in both hands, and as she's approaching her little white car, all four doors are open, the trunk is open, four teenage boys are proceeding to enter her car. She's the widow of a police lieutenant, and she has the right to carry his weapon. It's not loaded, but she carries it. She reaches into her deep pocketbook, and she pulls it out, and she says, get away from that car. I have a gun, and I'm not afraid to use it. The teenagers did not wait for a second invitation. They fled. She was so shaken, poor thing. She put her bags in the car. She sat down in the driver's seat. She was just absolutely upset, and she could not get the key in the ignition. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes later, she looked over four cars, and she saw a car. (laughs) 
It looked exactly like her car. She put her head on the steering wheel, and she shook it, and she went over, and she tried the key, and it fit. She went straight to the police station to turn herself in. The police captain fell on the floor like Dorothy. He pointed to the other end of the counter where four shaken teenage boys <laughs> were reporting a carjacking <laughs> by a crazed elderly woman, 5'2", white hair, big black shoes. No charges were filed. Senior citizens, I'm 45. I'm having a lot of senior moments. I walk around the house. Sometimes I get to the kitchen. The kids go, it's dinner time, Mom. Sit down. <laughs> I apologize to my mother all the time, because this happened to her in her late 50s. It's happening to me much sooner. We used to, I used to make fun of my mother, like, Ma, you know, open the cabinet. You look in, you go, I know. I know. I'm, <laughs> I just know. I, I laugh at myself all the time. I have sometimes gone back for the third time, going, I think I can get it. <laughs> it's just difficult. It's just really difficult, very, very hard. But it's good to laugh at ourselves, ladies. Motherhood is hard work. Aging is hard work. I like the story of Mabel. She's a sharp woman. Mabel has raised her son, David, right? And she's a little concerned, because David's moved to the big city, and he has a roommate who is a female. David insists that it's just platonic. Mabel is not so sure about that, and she knows that if she goes there, she can tell for her own eyes. She's very discerning. Mabel arrives, and they put out a lovely dinner. Stephanie cooks. Mabel goes home. A couple of days later, Stephanie says to David, David, I'm not saying anything, but ever since your mom left, my sterling silver gravy ladle is missing. David says, Stephanie, David, I'm not saying anything, but it's missing. All right, I'll, uh, I'll email mom. Dear mom, I'm not saying you took the gravy ladle. I'm not saying you didn't. But the fact is, the gravy ladle has been missing ever since you left. Mabel wrote back the next day by email, Dear David, I'm not saying you're sleeping with Stephanie. But the fact is, if she was sleeping in her own bed, she would have found the gravy ladle. wiping me out. I'm exhausted. My kids were perfect until they were 18 <clears throat> months. <laughs> then they started displaying character traits from my in-laws. <laughs> I pray for the children all the time. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the fact that we do believe your promises. Thank you, Father, for foundations that are strong. Because of you, you are the foundation that is strong. And when we're built on you, settled on you, living in you, abiding in you, hidden, as the scripture says, hidden in you, 
we can be strong. Father, help us now to examine this word in Joshua and to understand what it is to be an overcomer. That is what this day is about, Lord. We desire to be overcomers. We need to be. Life is hard, and you are good, and all things are possible through you. Help us now, Father, as you illuminate your word. Amen. If you do have a Bible, turn to Joshua 3. Being an overcomer. I think when we think of overcoming, very often we think of physical maladies. We think of the great Johnny Erickson Tata, who in a diving accident became a quadriplegic. We think of those who have survived horrible things. I spoke at a retreat last year in Sacramento, California, and arrived at the airport, and this lovely woman, Sue, picked me up, strawberry-colored hair and freckles, and she uh, had told me that she had recently had a double mastectomy. And she explained to me it was a win-win situation. And I said, win-win, tell me about that. And she said, well, you know, if I got better, the glory would go to God. If I got sick, people would pay attention better to my Christianity. In my sickness, my family's come closer to God. My husband's deepened in his faith. If I die, I'm going to be with him. I said, you should be teaching this weekend, not me. Win-win? I don't know if I'm there. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. When a woman discovers her husband's struggle with pornography, she needs a practical plan. The latest book from Focus on the Family, Aftershock, by professional counselor Joanne Condy, will help you through the seven steps of self-care, and you'll learn how to deal with the emotions involved in the discovery of your husband's addiction. Let Joanne Condy's timeless wisdom give you hope even while you're in your own season of Aftershock. Learn more about Aftershock at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash store. Man, I knew my marriage was falling apart. I just didn't know how to fix it. I felt like I would always be alone, even if I stayed married. At Focus on the Family's Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, we offer hope to couples in crisis so they can have the marriage they've always dreamed of. For the first time, I felt like my husband truly heard me. I've received some great tools from the counselors that have changed my life and my marriage. To begin the journey of finding health, go to hoperestored.com today. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. You can all think of an overcomer in your life. Maybe you are one. Tragic circumstances, difficulties. I know a woman in Virginia whose two little boys have been diagnosed with cancer six months apart. And special agencies from the government are calling her to see if maybe they're sitting on some type of property or some chemical is in their midst. And when you speak to her and ask, how is that going? What is that like? Are you mad at God? Isn't once enough? She said, you know, I had to come to grips with what's the very, very, very worst thing that can happen to those little boys. Physically, they will die, but they will be immediately in God's presence. And then I asked myself, what am I so upset about? Paris is pretty sharp, and she's like, Mom, I want Jesus to come back, but after the wedding... When I was a young Christian, I used to hear the women of faith, the great women of my church, say, oh, dear Lord Jesus, come. Come. Take us out of here. And I thought, wow, they must be so unhappy. <laughs> Life's a party. Why do they want it to rush? I understand now when we look at headlines and we look at abuse and we look at what's happening with certain 
kidnappings and homes and sex rings and all those things that we'd like to somehow lock them in a white room, wouldn't we? A non-Christian neighbor with the terrorism and the anthrax was quite an issue in the D.C. area. We live 25 minutes from the Pentagon. She called me to let me know that she had a plan, an emergency evacuation management plan for her only child. And I listened, and I thought, how sad that she thinks her plan will protect that child. We can't protect anybody. You are not in control of your life, are you? No, we are overcomers, and we know from Proverbs 31 that she laughs at the days to come. Why does she laugh? Has she had a lobotomy? <laughs> she laughs because the good guys win in the end. She laughs because the king is coming. She laughs because she lives forever. She lives forever. I wrote a book, just a very small amount of copies, uh, a few thousand, called Bonding with the Blonde Women. <laughs> You'll never guess how I picked that title. My speaking had stopped, the radio had stopped, I moved, and God said one day when I was complaining about working at the cafeteria, I want you to love the blonde women. <laughs> Don't make me be friends with the blonde women, God. <laughs> yes, you're going to be friends with the blonde women. We've never owned a new house, we've always had used houses in New York, we got to have a new house in Virginia, everybody's doing the same thing, putting in the carpeting, getting the trees, the mulch, the painting, the windows, the the gutters, all that, and, and I knocked on 33 doors and invited 33 women to a Bible study. Told them I wasn't a theologian or an expert of anything, but I loved God and I thought the Bible was helpful for life. Three of them came. That's amazing. That was four years ago. Now it's a morning and night group, 52. That's not about me, that's about people are hungry. And the blonde women are coming to the Bible study and they've been in my house. <laughs> and they help me to lose weight. <laughs> they don't think fat jokes are funny. In New York, we love fat jokes. I was gaining two pounds a year and proud of it. <laughs> I love it. They raise their hand and one woman says, whose husband is very successful, Ellie, my Bible is defective. What, what, what happened? What is it? There's no red ink in the beginning. And a woman who's a successful accountant wants to know what's God's turnaround time on prayer. <laughs> it has been so refreshing. If you are not hanging out with women who don't look like you, you're missing something. You're missing something. I love God's promises. I love that we are overcomers. I love that we get to live forever. Now, just to give you a little background here, we're entering the promised land in Joshua 1. Joshua and the people are prepared. The River Jordan is going to be crossed, and a memorial will be erected. We know that Moses did not get to enter in. We know that whole generation did not get to enter in. They were complainers. They were gripers. They were mopers. They were procrastinators, and they did not get to enter in. God waited until all the disobedient people were gone. He will pick out the people that are causing trouble. He will remove the murmurers and the scoffers. Preparation. Joshua 3, verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. 
And Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. There he is again, making somebody great. I'm going to exalt you, Joshua, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. You shall, moreover, command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the word of the Lord. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will assuredly dispossess from thee before the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Parasite, the Gergesite, the New Jerseyite, and the Termite. Sorry, Jersey. <laughs> Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing overhead into the Jordan. Now then, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe, and it shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests, when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the Ark, when they're in the Jordan, when they shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, then the Jordan shall be cut off. And the waters which are flowing down shall stand up in one heap. The Jews are tired. They've been traveling 40 years. That's because there was a man up front who would not ask for directions. <laughs> sorry, sorry. sorry. Three men were walking along a river, and it was a terrible storm. They were taking a lovely hike, and a horrible storm, and they were Christian men, and they were just having a nice hike in the woods, and, and the storm was so amazing, and they had to get back over this river that they had crossed, and there was no way to do it. The river suddenly was going 80 miles an hour, and one man said, Lord, 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 give me the strength to cross the river. He jumped in the river, and he swam across, and he just made it, almost drowned, spitting and breathing hard. The second man said, Lord, give me the strength and the tools to cross the river. And God put a little rowboat right there, and he rowed with all his might, and he got across this river. And the third said, Lord, give me the strength and the tools and the wisdom to cross the river. God turned him into a woman, and she read the map and crossed over the foot. <laughs> she just crossed over the bridge 10 yards up. Directions. So there has to be preparation. We have to have some sense of preparing. When the cancer comes and you have not prepared in your faith, it's late. When the death comes, a woman in my Bible study had just asked Jesus into her heart and she called me. I was doing a retreat in Nashville on the cell phone and she said, please pray for us. We're on the way to hospital. I found Corey dead in his bed this morning, two and a half years old. Some type of extreme, unusual seizure. And as I got on the reception line after the mass, I put my face next to hers, and her face was all wet, and she whispered, I don't get it. I said, it's okay, Maggie, you don't have to get it. You know, ladies, there are some things we're not going to get on this side of the veil. There are some things we're just not going to get. But do we believe? But do we trust? But can we say he is God and he is a good God? My sister's neighbor committed suicide. He hung himself by the remote of the garage. And my sister is not a capital C Christian, which is what I call Christians who report for duty every day. 
And she's a good woman, and I believe that she's close to asking Jesus into her life. Next time I visited her, the teenage boy who found his father and let him down from the ceiling was out in the street just mechanically bouncing the ball, bouncing the ball, shooting, bouncing, bouncing, shooting. And I said, Michelle, have you been over there? She goes, well, no, I, I took a casserole when it first happened, but I haven't been back. I don't even, I wouldn't know what to say. If you're a Christian, you need to sit on the end of that hospital bed with more than good luck, hang in there. If you're a Christian, you need to have something to say at the cemetery when the casket is lowered. We are overcomers. We are women of faith. We are women of substance. It is not hang in there, do your best, good luck, come what may. He is God. We will live forever. We will meet again. That is a promise. Well, Ellie LaFerro shares so plainly and convincingly, doesn't she? And I really appreciate her compelling message about living out our faith and being bold in sharing the gospel with others. This is Focus on the Family, and we're going to hear more about how that dynamic faith will sustain you through difficult days next time. You know, John, I don't know how people get by without believing in a loving Savior who cares for you. And it makes all the difference. And here at Focus on the Family, we want to always point you back to the Lord and His Word, which contains all the answers we need for this life. Recently, a woman named Katie Joy sent us this note in response to a broadcast. She said, Thank you for the difference Focus on the Family has made in my life. I grew up in a healthy home, but when I first got married, I struggled with some pretty heavy issues. Where did I turn? Focus on the family, which turned me back to God. I love that. She went on to say, Now I have four little kids and am training to run a marathon, so I spend many hours running alone, listening to Focus on the Family podcasts. Mm. I come back from my runs physically exhausted, but spiritually strong. I live far away from family and far away from any sort of Bible belt. Thank you, Focus on the Family, for being my Bible belt and for encouraging me to live for God's glory. I love that. Isn't that good? uh, It's a wonderful thing. I like the idea of us being a Bible belt for Katie Joy, (laughs) uh, girding her up for the challenges of every day. That's really the best kind of outreach we can do. It really is, John, and we are here to help people like Katie Joy and you to help your families to thrive in Christ. And if you need some advice and encouragement, Please give us a call. Our friendly staff are here to listen to your concerns and pray with you. And if you need more in-depth help, we'll schedule a call back from one of our caring Christian counselors. And we have an amazing team here to assist you. I'm very proud of them. Mm. And if you can, uh, please donate to the work we're doing here at Focus on the Family. We're a nonprofit organization, and we rely on your donations. That's it. And when you give generously a gift of any amount, we'd like to send you a CD copy of this complete broadcast from Ellie LaFaro as our way of saying thank you. And you can reach us and donate when you call 800-A-FAMILY. That's 800-232-6459 or online at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. By the way, if you enjoyed today's program, please tell a friend to tune in next time as Ellie continues sharing the hope that we have in Christ. People are disappointing. People break your heart, they let you down. Where did you think you were gonna find the perfect person? His name is Jesus. Certainly not in in a spouse for those of you that are married. Husbands make lousy saviors. Frank is not the center of my world, he's so relieved. 
On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. You are not in control of your life, are you? No, we are overcomers. And we know from Proverbs 31 that she laughs at the days to come. Why does she laugh? Has she had a lobotomy? (laughs) She laughs because the good guys win in the end. She laughs because the king is coming. She laughs because she lives forever. She lives forever. Last time on Focus on the Family, we heard some really great encouragement from Ellie LaFerro, and we've got more to share today. Your host is Focus President Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. Well, Ellie LaFerro is a favorite on this broadcast, so you'll want to hear this complete message. Uh, get the CD or audio download from us. It's, it's really going to brighten your day. It will, and we've got all the details at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast, or call us, 800-the-letter-A-in-the-word-family. Ellie is a very insightful Bible teacher, and she's using the Old Testament account of how the Israelites crossed the Jordan River um, to illustrate some ideas on how we as Christians can overcome life's hardships. And you know, Jesus told us, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And that's in John 16:33. And we need to especially remember the first part of that verse where Jesus said, we will have trouble. Being a Christian doesn't give us a free pass to avoid pain. Instead, we have the comfort of the Lord walking with us through any painful time in our lives. And that is a promise that we can have great assurance in. As we said last time, Ellie LaFerro is the author of several books. Uh, She's a very sought-after speaker for conferences and retreats, and she's originally from New York City. She and her husband, Frank, live in Reston, Virginia, and have three grown children. We're going to roll back a bit for those who missed the program last time and pick up where Ellie pointed out just how important it is to be established in your faith before the hard times come. Here now, Ellie LaFerro speaking at a women's conference on Focus on the Family. My sister's neighbor committed suicide. He hung himself by the remote of the garage. And my sister is not a capital C Christian, which is what I call Christians who report for duty every day. And she's a good woman, and I believe that she's close to asking Jesus into her life. Next time I visited her, the teenage boy who found his father and let him down from the ceiling was out in the street just mechanically bouncing the ball, bouncing the ball, shooting, bouncing, bouncing, shooting. And I said, Michelle, have you been over there? She goes, well, no, I I took a casserole when it first happened, but I haven't been back. I don't even, I wouldn't know what to say. If you're a Christian, you need to sit on the end of that hospital bed with more than good luck, hang in there. If you're a Christian, you need to have something to say at the cemetery when the casket is lowered. We are overcomers. We are women of faith. We are women of substance. It is not hang in there, do your best, good luck, come what may. He is God. We will live forever. We will meet again. That is a promise. I'm not going six feet under. It's not going to bite the dust. I'm going to live and rule and reign. What does that mean? I have no idea. I can't wait. I'm going to rule and reign in heaven. 
praising him for all eternity. We have answers. Why are people breaking down? Why are half marriages not making it? Why do people end up hating the children that they gave birth to? And vice versa. Why do families stop talking for so many years? Because we're breaking down. You don't take a Mercedes to a Ford dealer. You don't take a human to Tony Robbins. Where do we get our truth from? Where do you get your opinions from? Are you embarrassed to say what you think? Do you find yourself being quiet because you don't know what it says? Religion is personal. You know why? Because you don't know much. So it's so personal. No way. When I was in love with Frank, I told everybody. When I had kids, I showed everybody. If Jesus lives with me, you're going to know it. How strange it would be if I was a Christian and nobody knew it. I don't want to go to heaven someday and wait on the judgment line and have somebody say to me, you're a Christian? You were in the next cubicle eight years. You didn't say anything. We stood on that soccer field 46 times. You didn't say anything. How could you not say anything? How could you not? If I had a cure to a disease and didn't share it, what am I? If I have the fire truck and the house is on fire and I don't show up, what am I? If you know how to live forever, how to have joy and peace and patience and abundant life and you don't tell anybody, when did we get so polite? Hey, in the old neighborhood, the ants used to call when there was a sale on tomatoes. <laughs> you don't want to tell people about this? The phone is used for a lot of garbage. You don't want to use the phone for this? Preparation. You must be prepared, and you must know the word. God did not leave us to dangle in the dark. He's not a sadist in the sky waiting to hit you with a rubber band or a disease. He did leave directions. He did leave instructions. Taxes, sex, mother-in-laws, it's all in here. <laughs> I love my mother-in-law. She gave me Frank. Some days I'd like to return the gift. Sorry, sorry. But, uh, sorry. Uh. In Joshua 3, it says in verse 4, you're going to move out behind the ark and follow it, and you will know which way to go. You haven't been this way before. Many times in your life, you say, God, I haven't been this way before. I haven't had a child. I haven't had a sickness. I haven't had a mother with Alzheimer's before. I haven't had my husband have an affair before. I haven't had this situation. I haven't had my best friend stab me in the back. I haven't been this way before. And God says, follow me. Follow me, because then you will know which way to go. You'll know how to act. You'll know what to say. You'll know how to behave. Because you haven't been this way before. Verse 5, consecrate yourselves. There has to be some sense of consecration. If you are not changed from when you were a non-believer, you're not a believer. You're not a Christian because you grew up in any church. I'm not a car because I'm in a garage. I'm not a bagel because I'm in a bakery. And you're not a Christian because you're in a pew. A capital C Christian knows that she knows that she knows that she's saved because she's so wonderful. No. <laughs> she knows that she's saved because she's so rich and wealthy and she's really helped out at church. No. She knows that she's saved because she's jumped through all the right hoops and when she was married, she was a virgin. No. <laughs> she is saved because God put skin on and came to earth and hung on a cross and let the blood drip down and she's washed white, clean. Anything she's ever done is not only forgiven, it's forgotten. 
How does he do that? I have no idea, but I'm so happy. <laughs> Forgotten. We must prepare ourselves. Next one. Separation. Now listen, I cannot stand separatist Christianity. It bothers me. If you only have Christians in your life, something's wrong. We moved to Virginia. My husband worked for a Christian ministry. We put our kids in a Christian school. I was a Christian speaker. We were at a Christian church. We had Christian friends. And I said, not good, because your world becomes this little bubble. And it's important to be with people who don't look like you, who don't smell like you, who don't talk like you. I'm not saying for you to hang out with old friends with bad habits, but I'm saying take those friends along with you where you're going. Make sure that you don't end all those relationships. If we're holier than thou, we're not going to affect anybody. Jesus didn't win converts by being divisive and derisive and derogatory. He won converts by saying, hey, let's have lunch. Come on down from that tree. Hey, hang out with me. Reputation? Who cares? There was mercy and goodness and kindness. Mother Teresa said that if you're judging people, you cannot love them. There's no time. Separation is important as far as some sense of that you must make sure that you are not acting like the world anymore. You're not watching that garbage anymore. You're not reading that smut anymore. Your mouth has cleaned up. Perfectly? No. None of us are. But are we getting there? Yes. Am I a better Christian than a year ago, five years ago? Yes. Do I hope to show improvement six months from now? Yes. At the end of the first millennium, there were monks called pillar people, and they decided that not to sin, they would live up on top of pillars, plateaus in the mountainsides and rocks that bring enough uh, provisions for six months or so, and their friends would come up and bring a few more. So they couldn't sin, they couldn't talk, they couldn't get in trouble. Henry Jowett said this, it is possible to evade a multitude of sorrows by the cultivation of an insignificant life. Indeed, if a person's ambition is to avoid trouble, the recipe is simple. Shed your ambitions, cut the wings of every purpose, and seek a little life with a few purposes, a few relations, and a few contacts. If you want to get through the world with the smallest trouble, reduce yourself to the smallest compass. Tiny souls can dodge through life. Bigger souls are blocked on every side. As soon as a person enlarges his or her life, resistances are multiplied. If you are petty and selfish and just caring about yourself, you will have no trouble. If you are interested in the agenda of Christ, your suffering will be increased on every side. My next book is going to be called God is Good, People Rot. Not really, but I think it's a good title. <laughs> People are disappointing. People break your heart. They let you down. Where did you think you were going to find the perfect person? His name is Jesus. Certainly not in, in a spouse, for those of you that are married. Husbands make lousy saviors. <laughs> Frank is not the center of my world. He's so relieved. <laughs> All those love songs... You know that you're the center of my life, and with you I'm born again, and baby, you're everything. That lasts a week. <laughs> this Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. 
your marriage has 12 essential traits and the Focus on Marriage Assessment is designed to evaluate those traits and help you build a relationship that thrives. It's free and only takes about 10 minutes to complete. Based on the research and experience of Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley, this assessment will help you and your spouse discover areas that are working well and things that could use improvement, like communication, conflict, and commitment. Go to FocusOnTheFamily.com slash assessment to get started. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash assessment. Oh, hey, Mike. Got here as soon as I could. What's going on, man? Hey, I just wanted to give you an update on my marriage. Is it good news? Yeah. Our marriage is going great right now. I couldn't be happier. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. It's like a solid 5 out of 10. (laughs) Having a marriage that's just okay isn't where couples really want to live. Give yourself and your spouse an all-inclusive weekend where you'll slow your pace and focus on each other. Get more details at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. There must be some separatism. There must be some separation so that you know, you know what? I can love them. I can pray for them, but I'm not them anymore. It is so powerful to see the women in my neighborhood Bible study who are saying, I didn't have to say to them, stop this, stop that, stop this, stop that. They say to me slowly, you know, Ellie, I'm not so comfortable anymore with that group or with that humor. I'm not so comfortable anymore with that TV on in my house. It is so hard, isn't it, ladies? Listen, you're the keeper of the gate. Frank works hard and long. He flies out of the country sometimes. I am watching what goes on in the house. That's my job. I run the house. I'm a domestic engineer. (laughs) And I'm trying to do a good job of it, but it's not easy. And my kids are sharp, and they're cultured, and they want to do things, and they want to see things. I love the story of these three teenage children that went to their Christian father and said, Daddy, please, we know you have a strict rule about R-rated movies, but please, just Daddy, this once, sit down, Dad, can we talk to you? They were so intense, he said, sure, I'll sit down. Dad, listen, this new movie, it's just really great, and there's pros and cons, but Dad, there's just a couple of cons. There's a couple of curses, Dad, but we asked some people at church who said not too many curses, not too bad. And Dad, there's a sex scene, but it's not right on the screen. It's kind of like suggested off screen. That's about it. But Dad, the pros, it's the best actors and actresses in Hollywood. It's a great cast. There's a great storyline. There's a great plot, Dad. There's like a a redemption scene at the end. Oh, and Dad, there's a lot of special effects. It's just unbelievable. And Dad, we don't want to feel like nerds. Please, Dad, reconsider just this one movie. He says, you guys really thought a lot about this. Give me a day. They left the room, those three teenagers, high-fiving each other. We got them now. Next night, they came back in, and they said, well, Dad, what do you think? He said, you know, I've given a lot of thought, and I'm going to let you see that movie, but first, you have to have one of my brownies. They turned over, and on the coffee table was a plate of freshly baked brownies. And the father said, you know what? Those brownies, they're they're special, but they've got a couple of pros and cons. (laughs) Let me tell you the pros. These brownies have been made with the most choice ingredients, the freshest, freshest chocolate, the most premium walnuts. These brownies have frosting on them. These brownies were made by your father's own loving hands. These brownies are moist beyond moist. There's only one con. I mixed in some dog poop. I baked it at 350. I think I killed the bacteria. 
teenagers left the room. <laughs> it is hard work being the keeper of the gate. But you cannot, you cannot consider yourself separated if you're doing the same old, same old. Now listen to me, those of you who have husbands that deal with issues of pornography and other such things. I'm not suggesting that you have control over everything in your house, but you have control over many things. The people that you gave birth to should not be ordering you around. You are in charge of your home. And if, if you need to find a counselor, if you need to find a pastor, if you need to dial 1-800-A-FAMILY, you do it and you take back those reins. Submissive does not mean subservient. We're not doormats unless we lay down, ladies. I, my heart is brokenhearted for the women who just feel like they're prisoners in their own home. When did that happen? That's not God's way. We must be separated, but it has to be an issue of a holiness. There has to be some sense where you are different. You are different. Paris is 15, she's an honors freshman English. I taught English for 10 years. I don't care about my kids' homework. I don't get involved with it. I say to, my, to them when they ask for help, I did fifth grade, I, was, I did very well. I, now you're in fifth grade, good luck. You know, what is it these days? We're doing our kids' homework. Have you been to these science project fairs? The kids didn't do the projects. What a joke. I want to take the projects to the parking lot afterwards and swap for next year. I don't think that's Christian. But I really don't get into it because I think I was a teacher. I'm just kind of like laissez-faire about it. My husband, on the other hand, is like a lieutenant colonel. He wants the first grader to do rough drafts. Frank, go easy on them. When my son got a C, he said, you'll be in the street. You'll be homeless. You know, he was making some connection between the sea and not making it in life. But it's like, Frank, take it easy. Don't be so hard on them, honey. Well, there has to be a sense. There has to be a sense that we are separated. My daughter has a wildly liberal English teacher with wild ideas, with wild philosophies. And she keeps picking books that are not the classics. And it's really killing me because I want to tell her what books to teach. And OK, be quiet. You're the mother. Don't get involved. So I don't say anything, but she comes back with this mumbo-jumbo, globbly, gooky book on all the philosophies. And one chapter is about how the words of Jesus really can't be substantiated. So she had to refute that. And I decided to get involved. <laughs> we spent two and a half hours. We talked about the Synoptic Gospels. We talked about Josephus, the Hebrew historian. We talked about all kinds of things. She came back two days later, we got a D. <laughs> we got a D. And Paris learned about what it is to be separate, what it is to be separate, to stand apart. My daughter thinks I'm so popular because of this Bible study. And I say, you know what, Paris, for every woman sitting in the Bible study, there are two or three of her friends who do not like me. You will not be patted on the back when you become a Christian. You will not be high-fived every time you do the right thing. You're a Christian? You follow Jesus? They killed him. What did you think would happen to you? Life is not easy. God promises trouble. There will be a cross. There will be burdens. Whether you have faith or you don't have faith, life has trouble. I want to go through life with faith.
Every problem makes me bitter or better. Bitter or better. There's preparation and there's separation. And there's anticipation. (laughs) 3 and 12. Now then, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. I shall come when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark, when they're in the water. There's anticipation there. Verse 14. So it came that when they set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests, they followed him. There's anticipation. There's excitement. Have you been anticipating something? There's so much for this day. Dorothy and I spoke just a little bit six months ago, a year ago. And then when the months came closer, we we talked more. I got her to promise me cannolis. (laughs) There's anticipation. And I get excited. I get excited to come to these events. And what a privilege to be able to just come and address you and be an encourager. And I hope that you were excited about today. And I hope that you weren't just spending a little money to get away on a Saturday. There's excitement because we're going to meet God here. We're going to be with other women. We're going to come together. We're going to have unity and solidarity. We're going to hear from the word. We're going to be encouraged in our hearts. We're going to have some laughter. There's anticipation. The Jews were told to anticipate, get ready. Something great's going to happen. You're going to get in the river. And when they get in the river, the water will be stopped. I love that. I like the story of the senior woman who was passing slowly with a sickness and she called on her pastor. She was single. She never had children. She wanted to review her funeral plans. And she told him everything she wanted, the dress and and her Bible, and she wanted to hold that, and she wanted to be uh, in a certain way in the coffin, and she wanted certain music played. And before he left, she said, one more thing, Pastor. Yes, what is it? I want to have a, a fork in my right hand. He said, a fork? And she said, yes, I, I grew up in the, in the South, and on Sundays, it was a long way to church. We stayed there all day. We had church, and then we had picnic, and we had potluck, and then we had church at night. And after lunch, when the, when the men said, keep the fork, keep your fork, it meant something really good was coming. Not jello or pudding, but German chocolate cake, <laughs> apple pie. I want people to see the fork there, and I want them to say, what's with the fork? And I want you to tell them, Pastor, that something better is coming. Something good is coming. Anticipation. Anticipation. The senior citizens' home that I visit, the Christian women in their 80s and 90s visit non-Christians in their 60s and 70s. And you would not believe that there's that age difference. They look the same age because one's bitter and one's better. One is waiting to die. One is angry at the world. One feels like nobody's thanked her. One feels like she's never gotten her day in the sun. Her ships never come in. And one feels... She has every promise given to her, and then she has eternity to enjoy them. One knows that she'll see her mother again, her baby again, her best friend again. One is excited. Hmm, What a beautiful reminder from Ellie LaFaro today on Focus on the Family about the eternal promises of God. And I so appreciated her picture there, her word picture. She wrapped up that message explaining the confidence that these senior saints have as they anticipate heaven. You know, John, a lot of those senior saints uh, volunteer here at Focus on the Family, and we really enjoy getting to know them. They're a blessing to all of us. 
they have such wisdom and maturity. Uh, many have been around the world as missionaries, and they have wonderful stories to share as well. Mm-hmm. Let me encourage you, befriend a senior saint today. And we've certainly been able to do that in our own lives. So, you know, before the pandemic hit, my wife, Dina, was able to visit her mom in an assisted living facility every day. And she got to know all the ladies around her mom by name. They knew her. They'd often share a story. And it was really, really nice, kind of an unanticipated ministry field. Um, and everybody was benefiting from that time of visiting. And then, uh, you know, Jim, I'm reflecting on Ellie's message, thinking there might be somebody listening who is wondering, well, my circumstances are just too extreme. There's just too much negative stuff going on. I I can't overcome it all. I need help. What advice do you have for them? Well, I'd say call us. Uh, We are here to meet those needs. We're staffed with caring Christian counselors who are here every day to spend some time on the phone with you, pray with you, Uh, help you find a like-minded counselor in your own area to follow up with, just give us a call during business hours. Uh, Leave your name and number, and a counselor will call you back as soon as they can. It it just depends on how many calls we're getting in a given day. But please, let us provide that listening ear. It would be our privilege. Um, In fact, here's a great success story we recently received from Anna. My son's unruly behavior, she said, made my husband and I feel like failures as parents. And instead of working together as a team, we would often blame each other. And frankly, we were headed for divorce. All that changed when I had a conversation with one of your counselors. My husband and I put into practice the suggestions that the counselor made. Even better, we asked the Lord for help with our marriage and our parenting efforts and became unified in our approach. Our son is doing so much better, and there's a greater sense of calm in our family. And our extended family noticed, too. When they asked what happened, we simply said, thank God, and focus on the family. Oh, that's a really (laughs) great story. And when extended family members notice, there's something (laughs) special going on. And it's a terrific endorsement of the work our counseling team does every day. Yeah, and we offer these counseling services for free as part of our ministry outreach to families. And that's thanks to all of you who donate regularly to focus on the family. Uh, Simply put, we couldn't do it without you. We need your partnership to help families thrive in Christ. And if you can give today with a donation of any amount, we'd be happy to send you a CD of this two-part message from Ellie LaFaro so that you can listen again or share it with a friend who might be struggling and need some encouragement. So donate and request the CD when you call 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459, or find us at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And as Jim said, call us if you'd like to have a call back from one of our caring Christian counselors. That number again, 800, the letter A in the word family. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. 